Welcome to Belief Busters Podcast, where we change the world one belief at a time. True transformation happens when we question if the beliefs we hold are of truth, or simply someone else's belief that we have internalized as our own. I'm your host, Rev. Cherie Taylor-Jones, and I'm glad you could join us on the journey. Today, I'm really excited by our guest, Dale Likens, and he is just, you know how you just vibe with someone? I have that vibe with Dale, so I think we're going to have a really juicy conversation. Dale is a pastor of a non-institutional church. He is a life coach, speaker, and most recently, a writer. And his work centers around the profound experience he had finding his true, authentic self, which included coming out as a gay man at 55 years old, and then figuring out how to navigate the unique experience of a mixed orientation marriage and leaving the institutional church after 30 years as a Methodist minister. So you can understand the depth of his experience really draws me in to have this conversation because he is being clear in the truth of who and what he is, divine human being, and he has said yes to that exploration. Dale aims to help others discover what in their lives is holding them back, whether it be relationships, societal norms, institutions, and more, in favor of living a truer, more meaningful, more authentic life. Dale, so excited yes. that you're here. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. Good, good. I'm really glad. And today we thought we'd take on the provocative topic of religious abuse. Mm-hmm. Kind of skirted around this a few times, and I think both of us coming from our history in um, institutional church, I think mm-hmm. it's a perfect kind of dynamics mm-hmm. for us to have this conversation in love you know, without having to make others wrong. Right. I, I hear yes. that from you as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have my opinions, but that, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yes. and my experiences. And I often will say that whenever I'm talking about my past experience and I'm like, you know, I'm not trying to judge, although I do think some things, you know, need called out and we need to name them for what they yes. are. But uh, that does not mean I'm, you know, uh, rejecting the people that are in those systems or that have been and still are my friends for, you know, decades. So. Yes. I think what we have in common is calling something out, calling something up higher, calling up for the divine to really, and the spirit to have power through coming to clarity on what God is, mm-hmm. is way yes. different than standing in judgment of others. Yes. And that's what I hear that you're doing as well. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my first question to you is, where do you think we get the belief that we, the individual, has to please our church or subscribe to their expectations of us? My first thought about that is it comes from the church. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so, uh, so much of my own early experience uh, in my faith journey, which I you know, I certainly started as a kid, but my connection with church began in like junior high school. And so much of that early experience, again, those people laid foundation for my own faith today. So it's not a judgment on them, but that system, though, 
uh, was so much about uh, rules and you know what you needed to do or not do. They actually were mo more interested in what we did not do, um, and uh, all of that was was uh, wrapped up in this this message that you were not pleasing God if you didn't keep those rules. And in that particular uh, cu uh, culture and system, you also weren't going to get to heaven, you know, so, and that's another whole conversation, but, right? <laughs> but, yes, it uh, is. but anyway, this fear was present like all the time. So I think it comes from the church itself, preachers, proclamation, however, you know, there's lots of ways that happens. Yeah. And we, we can unpack that if we want, but, but I do think the church itself does that. Yes, and what I'm, theology. I agree, and I think also what I'm hearing you say is that we're not talking about people per se, we're talking about the system that mm -hmm. has been developed over time. I mean, let's face it, religion came into being as a way to control folks mm -hmm. and how they operated, right? Mm -hmm. From that very patriarchal, thou shalt do as I see fit, um, yes. and you'll, you'll come into that mold. You know, and I think our level of consciousness when these um, institutions were created, uh, a concept and construct of a very punitive uh, fatherly figure of God mm -hmm. um, with yes, lots of yes. rules and regs. And um, you could sacrifice, you know, you had to sacrifice to please this kind of God out there. Right. So I, I hear what you're saying, that it's a system that we've all then kind of gone into agreement with. Yes, or risk angering that God uh, or not getting the benefits of that eternal reward or whatever that would be for, you know, a particular religion. I'm, you know, my experience is in the Christian church, but that system is made in some sense to also strengthen the institution itself. Yippers. You know, and uh, so we replace a lively curious exciting faith experience spiritual experience uh with the divine uh, we replace that with rules regulations systems uh fear you know control yes um, and uh i call that often you know that the church the church in particular i'm talking about lies to people when it mm -hmm. does that well yeah because then you think oh i'm just you know i'm I'm just going along doing doing what I'm supposed to and then really missing out <laughs> on, on life on life itself sometimes, yes. which is what it really is about. So correct. I love what you said about just kind of like it's to support the church. You know, those right. It perpetuates the institution itself because correct. it needs people to continue to show up and to engage, to give their resources and to just to make it all count. Yes. So. And what better carrot to have than eternal damnation? Yes. Or eternal heaven, right? And bliss. Yeah. We either, yes, that's right. I was going to say, I still hear of so many people who, who react to God in some transactional way because that's the only way they know how. Right. And that's what they've been taught. And, uh, you know, so it's like, well, I've got to do this to atone for my sins. I'm like, uh, well, even Christian theology would say 
no, you know, that's already been done. If you right. bought into all of that, I'm just, right. <laughs> which right. I'm not sure I, you know, uh, do in the same way I used to, I but I'm just, but yet that's the way that it, you know, that people react to God because that's what they've been taught. Yeah. Um, and that's all they know. And so it's not, again, not, that just leads to say, again, it's not judgment on them. It, to me, it's actually judgment on the institution. So here you are, you're a Methodist minister, 30 years in, mm -hmm. and talk about your process of just now this new level of awakening and saying right. no more. Yes. Well, there were two reasons, two presenting reasons at the, the time period that I actually made that decision. I think it had been coming along in my life for about 10 years. And that started with my interaction and experience with the institution and the hierarchy and the system that I had, uh, you know, pledged my life to actually. And again, had awesome, you know, many decades of, you know, uh, that of happiness and joy, you know, just, uh, there were some great moments. But in the last, you know, uh, 10, 12 years, I began to experience a more corporate kind of way of dealing with, you know, pastors, clergy, churches, mm -hmm. and uh, the expectations of those above me in that hierarchy and in that system were so uh, focused on what some of what we've been talking about, the, the results of that, of, you know, more people and more money and your expectations of what kind of goals you were setting and, um, and, uh, I don't know how else to say that for someone who doesn't, you know, is not, doesn't know what behind that <laughs> scene all looks like. But let's just say that I had gotten to the point that what I wanted to be about was not aligning with where they were right. experiencing, you know, what, what kind of experience I was having with that system. It sounds like what you're talking about is the business of church versus mm -hmm. the spiritual mysticism of a spiritual connection to something greater than ourselves. Yes, wanting people to experience that as their first experience, you know, of knowing, uh, I'm going to get kind of Christian-y here, but Please. knowing who Jesus is and what he actually taught and therefore growing in that awesome awareness of the world and are just full of God's grace and just living in the world that way rather than just attracting people to a system. Mm -hmm. But the system needs you to attract people <laughs> to the system and measures you. That and measures, measures you. you by whether you are or not. And so I just found myself wanting you know, to, to go a different direction. That's the easiest way I can say that. There was some conflict along the way mm -hmm. um, you know, that led to, I felt, a way that, that system also mishandled that uh, uh, in a couple of churches that I was pastoring really didn't have my back. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, just made that decision that I had really, you know, after 30 years, uh, I was not going to do that anymore. The other thing, and that's not our conversation today particularly, but the other thing was um, the in the United Methodist Church, their own struggle with the inclusion of LGBTQ yeah. folks and um, 
in 2019, there was a general conference uh, gathering, international gathering of delegates yeah. of that denomination that they strengthened that belief uh, or the exclusionary uh, rules within that denomination. And I just didn't see that that was, again, uh, something that I wanted to continue to live in. I was ready at that stage in my life to get on with ministering to who I want to, doing yes. you know marriages I want to do, yes. uh, just all those things. So those two things came together at the same yes. time. And that's why I made that decision not to retire, although I could have, but I actually handed in my ordination. I gave up my connection Ooh, with them completely. So huge. surrendered, it's called surrendered my credentials yes. and uh, walked away mainly because I wanted to have some integrity around, you know, because if I was retired as United Methodist, then those rules still applied to me, uh, even though I wasn't in an active pastoring situation. Got it. So, Got it. so there's a short part and, and of that story, but cool. yeah, that's what happened that led me to it. But most, you know, a lot of it was around the institution and the system. Yes. I remember um, when the Methodists were having that conversation mm -hmm. in 2019. And I remember it wasn't just your denomination. It was like cross-Christian denominations. We were all looking and having the conversation about what is going to be the outcome, you know, yes. of that powwow. And so many of us were so disappointed in that decision to still be exclusive you know it's it's that how do we say we're all of god oh but not you over there you over there you're not part of god you know right. are you over there in that belief you you're not part of god either and it's just so the antithesis of who jesus the christ is and was his mission really was about calling people out from those beliefs of exclusion to inclusion Yes, actually, Cherie, that, you know, Jesus, the, the times people will point at times when Jesus got upset and angry and was judged, uh, I will say judged, you know, maybe it seemed like people. And every time that was the religious leaders and their systems that excluded people yes. that he was, you know, uh, upset about or railed against or yes. overturned tables because of. So, Amen. Um, Yes. Yeah, it was not anyone else. It was those religious systems and, and leaders who had such control mm -hmm. yeah. on other oh. people's lives. And here we are, 2021, and the same systems are in existence <laughs> they here. They are. They just change names. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. For you in this process of saying, okay, this this is no longer in integrity with who I am and how I want to show up in the world. And also now you have your own coming to reality with your own sexuality. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah, no, that's accepting my own reality. Um, sexuality happened a, a few months before, like you know, people were interested in timeline than all of the United Methodist stuff. So I was 55 years old. It's not something that I all of a sudden went, oh, I have same-sex attraction. A big part of it comes from uh, religious uh, systems uh, who, and, and beliefs and theology. That, what I mean is the, the reason that I was 55. So um, I did not grow up in a church or a family or in any settings that would have 
given me reason to think there is anything positive about being LGBTQ, me for being gay, or even language around that or thoughts about that, except negative teasing, um, you know, things that that would have denied full humanity to Mm -hmm. someone like myself. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, all my life, I can go back and realize that I'm gay. But especially, and I'll say men, because that's who reach out to me so often to talk about their own stories. Mm -hmm. Folks who are in, especially conservative Christian churches growing up, end up doing what you're supposed to do. You know, that's what I did. And that does not deny or negate the fact that, you know, I love my wife. Um, that, that, was, that was true and it still is. So we were married 35 years with her knowing from, you know, all of our marriage that I had what I referred to until I was 55 as my struggle. And that was the only way I knew that's, I knew I had this, you know, same-sex attractions. I knew that was always the case, but it was something that I struggled with that if I just could overcome, if I had prayed enough, if I went to enough counseling uh, and I did all those things, if I would have enough male friends and bonding and just, you know, maybe the fact that my dad was kind of emotionally absent in my Mm -hmm. life, even though he was present, you know, all those things I blamed on, you know, I, I, gave as reasons for how I was. Right. So at 55, uh, watching, after watching the movie Love, Simon, about a um, high school student who's gay, who gets okay. outed in school, he is not out, and he gets outed, and he has to deal with telling people not before he gets outed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say anything more because people should go watch it. It's very okay. good. Uh, but anyway. Putting it on my list. <laughs> yeah. I just was in tears when it was over. And I, I was completely surprised. My wife and I were watching it together just casually like, let's watch this movie. I yes. wanted to see it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I was in tears. And here's the image I often say about that is I felt for me, my own personal way to describe it is that God was kind of sat down next to me and said, just stop give up the struggle. It's who you are. You're gay. And so I sat my wife, you know, I said, we need to talk. I'm in tears. She said to me, you really are gay, aren't you? And so we went from there and just started to talk about our own, you know, life together. And 35 years, we liked what, you know, we had done with it and where we were and our grandkids and kids and, so yes. we uh, decided then, you know, soon after that we would do what we needed to, to stay together and to try to figure mm-hmm. that out. And Sheree then found out that there are other people like us. And yes. it is actually called mixed orientation marriage, as you yes. mentioned in the beginning. And we did not know that. So that was helpful to, to know. And now lots of folks um, reach out to me and my wife and us together. Uh, we're trying to think of where to take that. It's been three years for us, and we've had some intense moments. Uh, We have counselor who's been awesome, and we found that the most intense things that we deal with uh, were things that we would have needed to deal with anyway. You know, there are there are things about our own trauma and our own childhoods and our own lives. You know, that you go to counseling for and get help with. 
which I had done, my wife had done throughout our lives at different times. But this, though, this reality kind of threw a wall up and said, you know, any fear you had, <laughs> you know, any insecurities, you got to deal with them now because mm -hmm. they just became the intensity of them uh, became really uh, strong. And so we are, we have been working on our own selves and being able to bring a whole more whole individual beings to this relationship that then strengthen who we are as a mixed orientation marriage. But I would say that's true of any relationship. So, yes. so I just want people to understand it's not easy. It's, it is something that, you know, we have to be intentional about and we have to get, we had to get outside help to help us men maneuver that and to grow as individuals so that we can be the most we need for each other. Join us on the next episode of Belief Busters for the conclusion of this profound conversation. If you are enjoying these conversations about assessing your belief systems and how to transform outdated beliefs, then please subscribe and give us a positive review. To support this podcast and its transformative work, you can also become a sponsor for as little as $5 a month. You can reach Rev. Cherie at info at beliefbusterspodcast.org. To continue on this journey of evolution, you can also get my book, Turning Your Why Into Why Not, at Amazon or any other bookstores which gives you practical tools to do this work. See you next time on the flip side.